Hello and welcome to night number 12 of 31 Nights of Fright, year three, the franchise. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. Night number 12 brings us another meeting with that dream demon that you love to hate. This is the 1988 Rennie Harlan directed A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Picking up essentially where A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 left off, we are reunited with the Dream Warriors in an opening dream sequence. And, well, it looks like Freddy is back. Kristen, who you remember from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, does look a little different here as she is no longer played by Patricia Arquette, but is played by actress Tuesday Night. It is a little jarring because she doesn't really look like Patricia Arquette all that much outside of having blonde hair. And I had to do a quick look up to make sure that I wasn't remembering things wrong and well, turns out I wasn't. But either way, it's good to see that they got the entire cast back here. Kristen is worried that Freddy is going to come back and sure enough, he actually does. Uh, The only thing about it is, is that Freddy makes pretty short work of the Dream Warriors, so a lot of their stuff here is kind of cameo work. However, it does actually further the story along, and it is a nice little arc that they created here. It's almost like how Friday the 13th creates the Tommy Jarvis arc, and they still build a little bit off of the shared dreams and how people can jump into dreams or be involved in others' dreams and such. So it is nice that they actually kept that idea going here. There is a new twist, and that is that Freddy has been collecting the souls of all those that he killed. We never heard about this in previous Nightmare films, and this is a new thing and also involves the Dream Master, Alice, who can control her dreams better than anybody. As it turns out, she actually gains the powers of all of her fallen friends and classmates and while she has the power freddy has the souls and more or less she has to free the souls from freddy whether she actually still continues to have the powers and i guess the actual mentality and thoughts of her friends it's never actually said in this movie after it i really don't know if i'm on board for the whole powers thing from our fallen friends I guess it is kind of cool in a movie, but it goes a little bit out there in the deep end as far as I'm concerned. And I do know that all horror franchises usually get a little bit more on the ridiculous side as they go on. And thankfully, it's not into the parody realm just yet. I don't think A Nightmare on Elm Street really got to the level of Friday the 13th with how that is a parody of itself. However, it does go into that in the later entries. Of course, those will be discussed on later episodes. Robert England here is perfect as Freddy. You never get that he is phoning it in, and he's definitely the Freddy that we know now fully in this film. Of course, that started with A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, but he continues to hone it to being a really great performance and a really great villain. Compared to the previous films, I think his makeup here looks the best, and a lot of people don't realize that, that the makeup usually changes a little bit between 
films and it's not just with Freddy, you had it with Pinhead as well in the Hellraiser franchise. It's also fun to think about how these movies, as the budgets increase and as they get into that groove of knowing what they're doing, this here is all at once fits in with A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and even the first one. However, it has a different feel overall, and I think it's probably because of the music with the way it opens uh, with the opening track and everything. It's a different feel at the very start of the movie. However, I really do like what they did here, and then also I like that, again, it opened with the dream sequence. I like that these films open with that. It's much better than the flashback stuff that the Friday the 13th series opens with. Speaking of a funny moment with this one, I did laugh quite a bit that Kincaid, his dog is named Jason, and that's obviously a dig at Friday the 13th, which I thought was pretty humorous. What I do think was even more funny, though, is the fact that his dog in the dream sequence goes and pisses fire, and that's what causes the ground to open and Freddy to come back. It doesn't really make much sense, and... I laughed at seeing it, and I remember that made me laugh before in the past, and this is no different. It's actually a very humorous scene, and I don't know, it should have been a little bit more serious. I don't think they should have included something like that, but maybe everybody was in on the joke at this point. One of my main complaints about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 is that it had a big lack of gore and violence and everything like that and almost that the movie could have really been PG-13. This one here actually makes up for that. It does have quite a bit of blood in the film. And not only that, we do get some nudity as well. So it looks like they were trying to up the R rating or make it a stronger R than what the previous entry was. It's definitely welcome because that's stuff you expect when you go and watch one of these films. And while I did like a Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think this one is a little bit better in some ways. I think a lot of the deaths are actually very inventive. I really liked the death of Debbie. I thought that was funny because she was scared of bugs and was grossed out by them earlier in the film. And then she winds up in her dream becoming a cockroach. And seeing her run with cockroach arms is interesting. And it's even more disturbing to see, too, when she's stuck on a glue trap in a roach motel. And, well, she winds up ripping her skin off and becoming full-on cockroach. It almost reminded me of The Fly or something, and it was well executed. And it wasn't as over-the-top and ridiculous as what it sounds. The other one with Joey in the waterbed I thought was actually a cool way to do it, too, where he sees his pinup model. He sees her in the bed and everything, and then of course that's not what it is, it's Freddy in there. I thought it was well executed, but it pales in comparison to the blood fountain in the first film, which I still think is one of the best moments in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Another good scene in the movie is the classroom scene. I think that was another well executed scene. I liked seeing the test and how everything was moving around on the test and everything. And not only that, it gave me the feeling of the dying in your sleep. It wasn't as overblown because I guess it was more of a public spot. 
So she winds up dying more or less of fear and an asthma attack. And I think that would have actually been fun to see more in these films where they don't burn alive and stuff such as Kristen, but in reality, they actually die from their fear that their dream actually killed them. And I think that would be better in keeping with that. It's like, how do you explain some of this stuff that happens to them? I mean, Joey with getting trapped in the waterbed. I mean, like he's sealed up in the waterbed, apparently. And how would you even go to explain that? I think it would be better to see the people actually just die from their fear instead of actually being physically having something done to them. But then again, Wes Craven didn't really go with that either. So I do know that these were inspired by night terrors and nightmares and people dying in their sleep from that. But, well, it would have been nice to actually have a more realistic approach to it. The other interesting thing about this film is the dynamic between Alice and Freddy. Freddy will not kill Alice specifically because Alice keeps including her classmates in her dreams, which allows Freddy to invade their nightmares. So Freddy more or less keeps using Alice as a way to bring him souls and I guess theoretically strengthening him. And well, it's an interesting idea because he's not quick to actually kill Alice. The only reason he's killing Alice or wants to kill her by the end of the movie is because she's coming after him at that point. He's just kind of sitting back going, hey, keep bringing me kids and uh, you know, I'll let you go. So it is good that she makes a stand, but the downside is all of her friends are dead. This film is directed by Rennie Harlan. Of course, Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard 2. He directed Cliffhanger, I believe, and then also did reshoots on the Exorcist prequel that he wound up reshooting majority of the film. He's more or less a gun for hire, and there's nothing ever wrong with his direction on any film that I've ever seen that he did. In almost every Rennie Harlan film, they're well-directed and they're perfectly sound. Honestly, hats off to the guy because he directs stuff that he doesn't even get credit for as far as doing some other reshoots for other films and everything. So it's an interesting choice to have him here as director. But again, the whole thing is sound and he even crafts a pretty cool scene because not only are a lot of the nightmare stuff, like not only is that good looking, he also crafts a really cool moment and I'm sure it was in the script but still, the fact where Alice and her boyfriend are constantly repeating the same scene and they're stuck in a nightmare of their own, I actually really liked that moment. And it was funny because my girlfriend, Nicole, she was questioning, she goes, well, did it just skip and rewind? And I'm like, no, wait for it. And it was just really well done because it was a little bit of a trippy moment and it may be one of the more creative, interesting scenes in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But overall, this was another solid entry into the Nightmare on Elm Street series and made me want to watch the fifth one, uh, watching them in order and, and that. Uh, it's actually been a lot of fun. But I think I'm going to close out tonight's episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore Analyzes. Also, I got a website, 
So if you need to catch up on some past episodes, you can go to adamanalyzes.com and they're all up there for you to listen to. If you don't do the whole social media thing, you can also reach me at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. And the last thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave me a five-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice. It will allow me to continue making new episodes and also will allow me to reach new listeners. Plus, you know, I love those digital hugs. But with that being said, be kind and good night.